It's May 24th, and you're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And guys, uh, within the last few days, uh, verbal commitment, a longtime verbal commitment to Notre Dame, Cedric Irvin Jr., the running back, decommitted from Notre Dame. Notre Dame, uh, prior to that, we had heard Notre Dame having interest. Of course, we're going to hear about Jaden Lamar's decision here coming up this week. But a couple other running backs in Notre Dame was recruiting that kind of alerted us to the fact that uh, maybe maybe Cedric Urban's spot in the 2023 class was uh, was tenuous. There's two ways of doing it, too. There's Cedric, we're recruiting these running backs as well. We're going to have a three running back class. And, you know, we really like these guys with the new direction the offense is going. And there's also we don't have room for you. So there's there's two ways of doing it. Right. Now there's probably a lot of gray areas. Yeah, there's a lot of gray areas, doing it, but as soon as you're bringing in multiple running backs on top of the one running back several months later, I think that's a clear indication in the old school way of doing it. That's, I mean, sort of similar with Jack Nickel last year, right? They take an early commitment yeah. and they're like, uh, you know, we really like Holden stays and we're going to take Eli Raritan. And just so you know, we almost never take three tight ends. Right, so right. you're the and third the year, tight end. And the year before the offensive lineman that ended up going to Michigan that had been verbally committed, his name's escaping me right now. Um, oh yeah. The interior, he's an interior, yeah, interior offensive, defense, lineman. Yeah, offensive lineman. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you want to make a habit of. No, certainly. Of course um, and, it takes and, circumstances, right? I mean, don't you agree? It takes extenuating circumstances, and that happens. You, uh, you, I, I wouldn't extenuating circumstances. I think there's extenuating little... circumstances in your recruitment of the prior players. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a little too generous. He lost his position, coach, right? Yeah, I. But, but if you, but when he committed, at that point there was a there was immediate hesitation when he committed. So I think it was just it was not a great eval uh, or communication on Notre Dame's part. Um, but that doesn't, I'm not saying that's a reason that you should have had it play out. You should, the end result should be the same. Um, but I think on the front end was probably, if you're going to like ding Notre Dame for something here, probably on the front end of like your eval communication needed to be better. And that was, that was Lance Taylor's domain. Yeah. Lance Taylor was the running backs coach when that decision was made. And we don't believe that that was a decision that was unanimous uh, across the board uh, offensively. And so a decision had to be made and it's unfortunate. And you, you don't want to do that. And Notre Dame is certainly very sensitive, probably as more sensitive than most schools about something like this eventually transpiring, but you have to do what you have to do. And so Notre Dame is now looking at Richard Young, who's a great back, Jeremiah Love, who I think is a very, very good back and Jaden Lamar, who will commit, uh, later or will make a decision, I should say later this week, but I think we pretty much all expect him to choose Notre Dame. Um, guys, your thoughts on, you guys have any thoughts on those, those running backs in particular? Cause Richard Young is, that's a legit five-star. Yeah. Um, and Jeremy, Jeremiah Love is, is a breakaway back as well. That's very impressive. I mean, when you get that level involved, it's hard to look at the fall in love with the old sleepers. Like Logan Diggs was a sleeper. He's a better player than some of us gave him credit for coming out. Audric Estime was a intriguing running back, right? That's not, that's not the level you're looking at right here. That I think that's what you need in, uh, in running backs recruiting. And it's not a guarantee. I mean, Chris Tyree was that level. Chris Tyree was an absolute must get. And we still want Chris Tyree to be as good as we think, as good yeah. as I thought Tyree could be at least. 
Yeah, Richard Richard Young's another dimension. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that, that's, that that's another dimension of, yeah. of of running back. That's why he's rated. I think he's a composite number nine uh, on twenty four seven Sports' composite list. Um, so you know, Nordame will. Uh, they will be upgrading there. And, and quite frankly, I said this in my Thursday thoughts last week. I mean, I was, I was really surprised, like, okay, it, what are you guys going to do here? Running back? Are you going to, you're going to be satisfied with, with Cedric Irvin as, as one of the backs. And, and, you know, I guess at that point, Jaden Lamar, but I, you know, I just don't, I don't think that that's a, a enough of a dynamic duo. When you, when you look at the kind of recruiting that Marcus Freeman and his coaching staff, are doing here that just seemed like kind of an outlier like aren't you going to address that further and uh, they finally have done that now um, there's some other news pertaining to a quarterback that Notre Dame's recruiting his name is Dante Moore and it was disappointing when when you know for Notre Dame fans when they heard that he wasn't going to be in on June 11th but then oh there's going to be a big recruiting weekend on June 17th too and it sounded like Dante Moore was going to visit that weekend and so everything was fine but now it sounds like Dante Moore is going to visit Texas A&M on June 17th. You guys how, is there, remember is there anything how interesting with A&M? Like, is there anything interesting happening with A&M? No, no, no. A&M's okay. just, they, they had a great recruiting year, and uh, a few people have noticed along the way. I mean, they went 17-0 and 0 last year. How could they not have a great recruiting year? Yeah. Uh, interesting dynamics uh, in the SEC between coaches. But Dante Moore, uh, apparently, I don't know, is that locked in? I don't know that that's locked in, but it sounds like Dante Moore will be visiting Texas A&M, and rightfully, Notre Dame fans are nervous about that. You remember I, how we I, ended the segment last week? <sighs> Excuse me, Pete. You remember how we ended the segment last week about Dante Moore and how we all felt good about it? And then I said, so if he doesn't visit that week, we should not feel good about it? At some point, you have to accept your own advice, right? Like, it. I mean, it would... <laughs> The concern to me is like, all right, you got he visited Oregon, he visited AM or Will, LSU, Miami. Like it's a lot of the heavy NIL schools. Um that's a little bit of a concern, but look, I continue to ask people around Notre Dame, like, how do you feel about it? They feel yeah. good. They they I- they don't think he's gonna leave the Midwest. But, you know, if in, in any other recruitment, if you were just tracking the visits and where the kid's going, you would you would sort of write this. You wouldn't write it off, but you would say, man, Notre Dame is really trending down here. But Notre Dame, at least whether it's they're overly optimistic or what, they they feel good about it. We're, I, I, I've heard the same thing, Pete. And I mean, we're we have to understand as much as it is difficult to understand when I say that, you know, Nordic fans are rightfully concerned. I say that because fans are fans and they're going to be concerned about something like this. And I, you know, you look at this and say on the surface, man, this doesn't look good, but this is a different era of college football and NIL is a significant part of it. And Marcus Freeman is a player's coach and I think he's going to be as open-minded as he possibly can be about situations like this. If you asked me today, whether I think that Dante Moore will eventually sign with Notre Dame, I would still say yes. What do you guys think? So it's yes or the field, right? It's yes or the field. And the field is expanding. That's what I mean. That's the problem. The field is listing the field. The field might not end there. (laughs) 
Well, because uh, A&M will be an unofficial visit. Is that correct? I, I don't know. It. I don't. I, mean, <laughs> I, don't I, be- I don't know. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't either. But I mean, it's certainly certainly you're thinking, OK, June 17th. All right. You know, I'm Pemba and, and some other guys, some other big names are coming. Great house is coming in at receiver. And it's like, okay, well, Dante Moore will come in on June 17th. And so now you have to, you know, you have to look at this as a, as another contingency, but I, by all accounts, Nordame's not freaking out. And have we heard any other quarterbacks under consideration in the class of 2023? No. Yeah. I mean, it's really like the Avery Johnson was one that's at least sort of monitored and that's kind of about it. I mean, as soon as, if they throw the, they'll be prepared to open that if they have to. Um, but it doesn't seem like they're feel like they need to do yeah. that right now. Look, I I've, I've been privy to 40 years of Notre Dame football fans angst. <laughs> and I get this one. I mean, I, I get the angst <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can understand why Notre Dame fans would be freaking out, but, Oh, I don't have any can neither. I don't have any indication that Notre Dame, I should say, we, we don't have any indication that Notre Dame is freaking out about this. So if, if you could just, laugh at such things, I was trying to see if it's unofficial. It looks like it's unofficial, although Steve Wilt Fong did not mention if it was unofficial in his story, just some, some part of our thread has that, but Wilt Fong quoted more. <laughs> Very curious on how they signed the number one class ever, and I would like to see what's special about it down there. I love that quote. to read out loud. <laughs> I too am curious. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, we have a question in second segment, so we're going to address this topic again later. But uh, Pete, I wanted to, you mentioned Keon Keeley. I know you went down to see him, and I saw that you uh, took on the uh, massive state of the program. Uh, story for the athletic um if you could real quickly mention keely and just your impression of i know that you mentioned physically you look fantastic yes uh, and then just some of the other things in the state of the program story that you just put out uh, so keely it was interesting you know you go down see prospects you expect to talk to them and the high school coach was no i'm not letting you talk to him you're like uh okay so they're trying to keep things as normal as possible uh, for him, which they're having a difficult time doing just because he's a five-star. He's like, he's the Dante Moore of defensive ends, but people around him are very pro Notre Dame. His coach is pro Notre Dame. Gary Godz is on the staff. Um, I think he looks like Isaiah Foskey, but a little bit longer and taller. So that's, man, I, I just have a hard time seeing a better defensive end that Notre Dame could recruit than this kid. I mean, it's just elite in terms of physicalized put together. And then and the state of the program, we do those at the athletic, you know, similar to your, your Athlon, your Lindy's from back in the day that we all did. But, um, you know, the, the opposing coach view is sort of, that's what I am always sort of most interested in. Last year, I talked to somebody who was like, mm, Jack Cohen, I'm not sure if I see it or not. Like, seems like just a guy to me, which, seemed wrong, then very right, then wrong again. Um, and this year the take was Fisher and all Fisher in particular, this coach who was a, in the ACC felt like this is an a elite of the elite, like elite by Notre Dame standards, um, was very optimistic that Buckner will be good. Um, but 
the most skeptical guy that surprised me a little bit was Logan Diggs. Um, his take was basically he jumped over the guy at Virginia and then what um, wanted to see a lot more from him before people were felt like the buzz around him was a little bit over the top based on what he had produced. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you're kind of right on that one. So did, did you know that, interesting. did you know that you didn't have access to Keeley before you made the trip? Nope, I didn't. Um, and I, did they, I mean, did were, they know you were coming to visit yes. them? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and look, the reason I went down there was Marcus Freeman was talking to the club of Tampa, and I wanted to do sort of a right. a story on how he interacted with alumni events. It's like, well, I'm in Tampa. Keon Keeley's in Tampa. I'm going to go see I got Keon you. Keeley. I got so you. I got to see him practice and then just sort of hung around the school for a bit. Talked to Trey Reeder, who's going to be a PWO uh, linebacker at Notre Dame, one of Keeley's best friends. Talked to Keeley's mom. So I got a lot out of it. Um but not talking to Keeley himself was yeah was a little different. Um, I'm going to hit you up for uh, contact information from Gary Gotze because I hasn't I haven't seen him since back in the day. So I'll follow yeah. up with you on that. Uh, uh, Tim, Drew Brees has his number, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> you want to get it from Brees? <laughs> Gary Gotze does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah Gary Gotze uh, whipped Drew Brees, didn't he? he? Did. Indeed. That now that is that's an upset. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a that is a quarterback upset matchup right there. That's tremendous. I want I wanted to uh Pete, anything anything else you want to add? Tim, any any uh any other topic you want to I was to just gonna on? say on the, the running back recruiting, you mentioned Jeremiah Love. I talked to somebody around Notre Dame who felt like he compared love to Eli Rarden in the sense that this is a guy that Notre Dame likes so much higher than his recruiting rating. Um, not to say that, you know, there's similar players. One's a tight end, one's a running back, but just felt like this is a criminally underrated prospect. Well, I mean, his shiftiness is <laughs> that uh, he has great speed, but his, his shiftiness, his ability to avoid, to evade tacklers is really, really spectacular at times. So I agree with their assessment. I better do a film review. I have not done that yet. Richard Young. Have you seen Richard Young? Pete? Yeah, that's the different. That's a different. A, li- a little. I've only yeah. a little bit. It's like, this is, this is like the Greg Bryant level of. Yeah. <laughs> of interest. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, holy crap. Look at this guy. This guy's not on Notre Dame's roster ever. Well, uh, Kevin Sinclair is on record saying that he anticipates a love Lamar duo at running back for Notre bet. Dame. And I think that's I'm, a. I'm with Kevin on that one. Yeah, I think that's a good bet. And I think that that's an upgrade from what we were looking at here a couple of weeks ago. I want to conclude the segment because we, we, we get a ton of questions on it about wide receiver transfers coming into Notre Dame. Obviously, if we hear something, we're going to let you know. Obviously, you haven't heard us say anything. So we don't know. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I mean, I, it, it still has to be on the front burner for Notre Dame. But, you know. <laughs> I caught so much heat for, for how many times I've mentioned Nick McLeod didn't verbally commit until May. Well, May's almost over. <laughs> and Notre Dame does not have a uh, does not have a, a transfer receiver yet. And I don't have a name to throw at you, and the athletic doesn't either. And when we do, we certainly will do that. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Jim Bob Cooter, 55. It's pretty apparent the staff told Cedric Irvin Jr. He didn't have, they didn't have a spot uh, for him in the class. If you want to recruit with the big boys, this type of thing may happen from time to time. However, Irving did everything right, took no other visits, recruited for Notre Dame, and seemed like a Notre Dame kid all the way. Should Notre Dame have, have stuck to its word and honored his scholarship? I guess we kind of touched upon this in segment yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. This is high level recruiting. Um, This is a business, you know, that it's not, if you're going to find fault with Notre Dame, it's taking the commitment initially. Um, I I think that's probably more of an issue to me than him going on his way and whatever was. Yeah. And maybe I, I agree with you there, but I mean, maybe waiting this long, he still has a ton of time. Yeah, to make a decision, but could be worse. Like if you did it, if they did this in December, it would be a lot no worse, doubt. right? Yeah, no doubt. And I and they wouldn't do that. I, but he he no he I mean he has he has plenty of time. I mean you can imagine the kid is crestfallen. The dad is a former great football player, and you can imagine uh, the reaction. I you know I guess we're sitting here assuming that Nordame one way or another said the scenarios that you gave Tim that, you know, one yeah. way or another. Um, and they say it, the same thing. It's, mean, it's a like- tough business. And that's why, you know, everybody loves Marcus Freeman now and for good reason, but the longer you're a coach, the more you're going to piss people off and, and you have to, there's no, there's just, there's no way around that, but this was a, a commitment that Notre Dame shouldn't have taken in the first right. place. And Pete, you said communication and it was, it was a communication issue at that time. I think you're, everything's right that you guys said it's big business it's tough business this is what you have to do to compete it's happened before there are many ways of going about it but if you just want to say should Notre Dame have stuck to its word and honors a scholarship sure they should have but you don't have to right the two things can be true in this sense like you can always choose your friend or the right choice and if you already committed to your friend you should probably keep the commitment to your friend but this guy's a lot better. Well, I want him. I mean, those are you're you're right yeah. in both ways, right? I mean, the business side of it, they absolutely did the right thing. Should they have the Notre Dame way, quote unquote? Yeah, I mean, probably. Well, I Would, think right? we can we can feel fairly confident that the lines of communication now that Marcus Freeman is the head coach, and of course, you know, he was not when Notre Dame accepted the verbal commitment from Cedric Urban Jr. Right, right. So that blurs, I think that blurs things for me. That's what it we really does. No, it, it really does. It, it, really, it really does. Coach, a new head coach, a new off. Well, same offensive coordinator, but yeah. Yeah, no, it really does. And that was, that was, that was poor communication. And that's why this happened. Could Notre Dame have done, could they have been a little bit more proactive about it? 
a while back, I would imagine, but there's still plenty of time for it. Cedric Irvin Jr. is going to play for a quality program. Yes. There's yeah. there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, when I say should, I don't mean this is crippling and what, how could they do this to the kid? I mean, eh, if you want to say should, sure. It's right. It's the right word. Should is the right word, but it has nothing to do with reality probably is the only way to finish it. Yeah. Should, as, as you said, as opposed to have to, yeah. which right. they don't. And they can't do no. that in every instance. Anyway, and he wouldn't have I, to keep his. Hey, he wouldn't have to keep his commitment either, right? I know it looked like he was going to, but he could easily have decided he wanted to go somewhere else at Notre Dame, and then they need another running back. Right. Notre Dame won't make a habit of this, certainly under under Marcus Freeman, because the lines of communication will be better. Uh, question from Go ahead, Tim. From Scoobuffs. Assuming Marcus Freeman performs better in big games than Brian Kelly. Will that have more to do with game prep and coaching or simply getting more talent on the field? Did Kelly not know how to get his teams up for the big ones or were they simply outclassed? Well, game dependent, right? I mean, they're outclassed yeah, I mean, a couple times. Yeah. When uh, I knew, as soon as I read, did he not know how to get them up for the big games? I immediately thought Ann Arbor a couple of years ago and it was like, man, right. were they totally unprepared to perform at a high level that day? But I, I don't, I, mean, I, 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 you know, Marcus Freeman has a lot to learn about in-game decision-making and Brian Kelly was pretty damn good at it. Now, did he win the big games? No. Did he have his teams prepared to win big games? No, but you know, we take, I, we take for granted all the games that Brian Kelly won that he quote should have against unranked teams. And that tells you the fact that he had a streak of whatever it is, 35 or whatever it was, tells you that he has a pretty damn good idea what to do on game day with the game on the line, because there were games along the way they could have lost and they didn't. And that's coaching. So I don't know that we can assume that Marcus Freeman is going to be able to just press that button and, and, and automatically win games that, that are, uh, that are up in the air and close. I think that we undervalue Brian Kelly in big games because we think about the postseason, but at Florida State 2014, the two regular season Georgia games, at Clemson in 2015, at Clemson here in 2020, uh, the Michigan game here in was 2018. Yep. And 14, um, you didn't know they weren't good. Yeah. they. I mean, they're to say they weren't prepared at Florida State or at Clemson or at Georgia, like, well, that's not fair. They um, were not prepared at Clemson. They were down 14 nothing before we could sit down and have a drink of cherry Coke. Remember the no, bus ride the, was too long no, over and no, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's I, yeah. Prepa- I mean, no, but prepared to withstand a fourteen to nothing deficit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, all right. There's a weird thing about the Brian Kelly era that I will never understand. Is that so? He lost forty games, I believe, 40, 39, 40, whatever you want to look at. I can't remember the vacated total thing. Um, twenty-one or twenty-two. He fell behind by two touchdowns in the first quarter. Yeah. No, and you. That you, is weird. You, I'm, yeah. You. Sorry, that's very that. strange. No, that's man, a very that's strange a, stat. That's a lack of preparation out of the gate, and there's no doubt about that. On the flip side, uh, you can count on one hand how many times he lost a two touchdown lead, and that already happened once without him. <laughs> Good point, Pete. I don't even think you did. You mention at Oklahoma when you started listening. No, I don't think you no, said that one. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, no, you're have. right. No, I'm glad you kind of corrected what I said. You're you're absolutely right. There were a lot of big games along the way that, you know, when you're starting pile up wins, it's like some of those are taken for granted. Right. The USC games. Like, right, I think we're right. just like, Oh, of course you're going to beat USC. Right. Like, really? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he was, you know, when he was 11 and 0 
he was 12 and 0. And that those means were, that you those, won, yeah, right? those are that, underrated big games. Like when people say, what are the biggest wins? And I, and I mentioned USC. It's like, well, they weren't that good. Uh, you want to go win that game? And you want to be the head coach that has yeah. to beat USC at USC to go 12 and 0? It is not an easy Yeah, situation. ask Eric Parsegian about, and yeah. I realized it was a different time and a different sure, type sure. of program then, but ask. Robert Woods was about. running around that field. And okay, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee ran on the field. They might have had a bad quarterback. There was plenty of people that could upset yeah. you when you're not on your best. And there, anyway, talking, to, yeah. to answer the question, like to me, it's more talent on the field. Like wh- when you're when you're drilling down to the postseason, if Marcus Freeman is coaching in the playoff, to me that ha- that says more about the talent on the field than the week to week prep. The in the in season stuff, where it's like the rhythm of the year and your game after game, and you're burning out players and you're, you got injuries and you just got you got to get through the grind. That's more where I think Brian Kelly was very, right. very. I mean, we're good. not, you know, we. What did Brian Kelly? He they, he just blew the games against Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. I mean, do we do we really do we realize and accept no. the fact how good those teams were? He he blew those games in recruiting. I think that's a good way of putting it. I would agree with that. Question from Terry Benedict: Rate these in order of importance: signing recruits, developing players maintaining players in your program i think maintaining is last because you can bring them in and uh great players don't often leave if they have a chance to play i know great players like justin fields and joe burrow and to a lesser extent phil Dracovic left but there were guys in front of them that were very good and won games too so i have that last because i don't often think you will lose a top level transfer if you're a good program and they don't or they did. You don't have somebody else's that position. Like clearly right. Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I think we probably all agree that that's number three. We may yeah. not agree on what's one and two. I may not. Go it's, ahead guys. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's signing recruits. If you could do it in volume, like if you uh, like, all right, so I get 10, five stars and you get 10, four stars. My development of those 10 will be better than your development of those 10. I think. It's almost like developing has to be a given. Like that's a yeah. non-negotiable. Like, right. Cause, cause right. that was always the thing with, I mean, I think we praise Brian Kelly's staff for good reason or they're, they're very good at developing players that were high three-star and low four-star players. And then you run into Clemson and Alabama and Ohio state in the playoff and they're very good at developing players, but they're developing five-star and four-star high four-star players. And guess what happens? You get blown off the field. So you have to have both. Um, but I'm not sure which I guess yeah. I would say like if you if you want to keep going along at 10 and 2, then developing players is probably more yeah, important. I, you know, I I have to I have to pick developing players first. Yeah, it just it, you're it, it's a weird question though, Tim, because like you can't develop No, I get it. It's a great it's a great yeah, question. It's a great question. <laughs> yeah. You you can't develop 25 guys better than my 25 if you start at 350 and below. And I have everybody that's ranked in the top 200. No, it's you true. Can't. But I, you know, I also I covered the Lou Holtz era and, and and I know I know very well that he had no problem bringing in talent. Yeah. <laughs> I I, yeah. I I get that, but I also know that he didn't hire coaches. In fact, I can hear him saying it that. And, and even the specific coaches' names, which I'm not going to say, but he would never he would never choose an assistant coach for recruiting first and developing players second. He wouldn't do that. Now, probably know, because he knew he had yeah. a Vinny Serrato recruiting from for him, and B he was Lou Holtz, and he knew he could develop them. 
So that's an interesting point on this. When I went down to see Marcus Freeman at the Hilton Head event, he was asked about hiring coaches, and he said he had three things. This is the order he gave him, so I'm going to take it at face value as this is the order of importance. One, we're going to love your child. We're going to treat them like he's one of our own. Two, they've got to be great football coaches. These young people, they want to be first-round picks. That's the unique thing about Notre Dame, the value education, but they all want to be first-round picks, and I don't want them if they don't want to be a first-round pick. Three, they've got to be relentless recruiters. We can't have five, six, three. We've got to have 10 relentless recruiters that can recruit. They can get the best talent in the country that fits Notre Dame. So if that's the order of importance, then development would be before recruiting. But they're both... They're important. both significant, it's extremely a, significant. It's a great question, and we would be devaluing coaches if we say that development <laughs> of players is not more important than the signing of the recruits because you have to develop these 17-year-olds into good football players. But I think the the line of Dylan McCullough compared to the other running backs coach you could hire compared to the other running backs coach you could hire is different than the line from Reggie Bush to Travis Thomas. Fair enough. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I, there are a lot of teams with a lot of high four-star, five-star talent that doesn't get over, that don't get over the hump. Sure. Oh yeah. That's why we'd be devaluing coaches right. if we say if we don't right. say developing. But it's got to be really fast too. Right. Good question, TB. Question from Indy Hawk fifty-eight. At what point does Nordame need to expand the quarterback recruiting board? I told you we would come back to this topic from segment June, one and June twenty-first. If you want to go July 1, that'd be fine, but not much longer than that. I mean, I I don't really know what to say. The fact that. I don't know. I actually, I I would keep pushing, pushing so much for this here. You, your quarterback recruiting board, what do you expand? You're expanding to someone that's going to beat out Tyler Buckner the next two years. I, I would get a high level transfer at this point. This is a new world we live in. I would well, say, you want to get your the, fifth court, you want to get your fifth or sixth quarterback choice in this class? The answer to, to this ring? question is you expand the board when you don't think you're getting Dante Moore anymore, which they haven't hit at that point. Which right. that's exactly yeah. right. And and there's a reason why they haven't. And and that's the whole point. That they they don't feel that they need to yet. I don't know if they feel like they're getting close. Uh, the, those kind of things are are difficult to uh, to answer right now, but um, we would know about conversations uh, with, uh, with other quarterbacks yep. if that were the case. I, or, I mean, I guess generally speaking, we would know. I, 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 I personally can't say that for sure. But um, I'm, 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 sure that they, I'm sure they feel like they still have a handle on this situation. Yeah. From Go Fight Win Irish. With the Irish suddenly flush at running back, even with Irvin's decommitment and commitment of one or two more for next year, how do you see the running back chart playing out the next two seasons? Should we assume someone leaves before this season? Can Notre Dame attack, attract the top talent with such heavy numbers on the roster? I don't. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to lead before this this season. I, I, no, I, I, I don't. I just uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know that anybody has ever felt completely comfortable that, that Logan, I think I said this last week that Logan Diggs is both feet, both feet into Notre Dame. I, I don't know that there's ever been a, a point where it, it wasn't when the December signing date came and went, it wasn't when the 2021 season ended. 
So, but I still don't, I don't expect them to leave before the season. This is something that every, every program is going yeah. to have to deal with. Uh, you, one minute you think you have a, a, a really talented, deep running backs class and it can change pretty quickly. So the five running backs on the team right now, none of them exhaust eligibility. Obviously, Tyree's a true junior. There is not an amount of money. You could bet me where I would say all five will be on the roster when we're talking about this August 2023. Oh, well, that's, yeah. No, No, I agree that. Even though they don't all exhaust eligibility and Chris Tyree doesn't seem like a guy that can immediately go pro. No, but I think you're with, with transfers, yeah. so free and easy you're so the roster is always yeah change. the roster yeah. is always going to be fluid a coaching staff is always going to have to, they're going to continually have to look at every position and say are we okay what's so-and-so thinking what's the number three quarterback thinking I, I think this is a you know I know we always say that coaches they make a ton of money and you know they should be able to handle all these things but there are so many moving parts with a football program. Now add this to the equation yeah. that the, the fluidity of your roster at a particular position is constant. I think it's just, it's worth keeping in mind when Richard Young is, if he doesn't come to Notre Dame, it's not going to be because they have Notre Dame has too many running backs. <laughs> no, like I if, don't think if you're a no. great player, you're like, right now, go. he could, right great. now his commitment could precipitate some changes with some other which, people, which is great, which yeah. is great. You know, that's you want the best players on the field. Like that that's how you win a bunch of games. So that in that case, the attrition that O'Malley's referencing would be a good thing. Yeah. Well, I think that running back and quarterback are two of the positions that not to this extent in the modern era, but are two positions where guys leave all the time because they don't see a path to the field. I mean, Notre Dame's never maintained all their quarterbacks. And running back is less of a high profile one because when the fourth string running back transfers, you don't people go, Oh man, darn it. Like quarterback, like, oh, I thought that guy was going to be good. And then he leaves. Um, now it's every position on the team. You have to worry about doing those type of things, as, as Priester pointed out. And some positions are less inclined, like, you know, offensive linemen. Yeah. They but don't they, readily. They, they've, they've still had one a year now, but it's always the guys that can't play. Right. That makes right. Sense. At right. that level, at Notre Dame's level. Yeah. A little different mindset. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, feature running back and then, you know, feature quarterback. It's. It's it's uh, with the ability to shift schools so so readily, you, you can you certainly understand why it's so fluid. Uh, question from JP Wirt seventy: If trades were a thing, would you trade one of Notre Dame's starting offensive tackles for wide receiver Jordan Addison, who by the way by the way is going to USC? If not Addison, is there a receiver in college football you would trade one of them for? That's an interesting uh, question, JP Wirt. Uh, I would trade Joe Alt for Jordan Addison. I wouldn't about, trade Blake. That's like, a, that's like a no-brainer for you? Is that what you're saying? Mm, no, I had to think about it, but um, not trading Blake Fisher is a no-brainer. <laughs> but with this team, like if Kevin Austin was back, I would say no. Kevin Austin's not back. Notre Dame's receiver position is not a great spot. Okay. All right, so it, you now have Jordan Addison. Who's playing left tackle for you? I Blake Fisher. Blake Fisher over Blake there. Ha ha. I answered so that play, question. Who's playing right tackle? Jared Patterson? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jared sure, Patterson or Josh Lug? Yeah. Or Josh Baker. I, I would make the trade too. I might I might dip into Columbus too to uh maybe change that game's tenor a little bit for my trade. 
That would be been fine. to Columbus. Yeah, oh, I was gonna say uh, in Jigba. Yes, in Jigba. Uh, yeah. I can get any receiver I want. I thought you were. I thought you I would were, go with I, in Jigba. No, uh, I I would too. I think I would too. I love Jordan Addison. I, I saw too, but when I, I saw Jordan Addison previewing Purdue or uh, Pittsburgh during his freshman year, I was like, oh my god, he's a great player. Yeah. And, I'm and actually Jigba. adding the 87 other players I have to worry about in Ohio State though, as yeah. opposed to USC. So I want to get rid of one of their players. And bring I, I think name. I'm I think I'm showing my uh, I think I'm showing my age when I say I'm not going to trade one of my two tackles. Because, you know, I mean, you I, gotta remember, I'm going by Notre Dame's wide receivers too. Like, it's not like, would you like sure. to compliment Golden Tate with Jordan Addison? No, I'm fine. I'm gonna go yeah. ahead and compliment Golden Tate. Now, that's a good point. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. I'm, but they can't do it. And I like Notre Dame's. <laughs> not, and I like at least Dame's not legally. There's a probably a way to do it yeah. now. They just can't. Like do our it. favorite Tony Alford, uh, would you trade Theo Riddick for Eddie Lacy during the game? He would. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another good question from JP Ward. Uh, question Everybody from, there would have uh, benefited from that too. Uh, I'm gonna. Th- I want to throw a question in here that has been asked a couple times here recently, and apparently I keep ignoring Dutter 25. Uh, so we're going to ask the question: Is there a realistic possibility Braylon James reclassifies? In other words, come and comes in with the next uh, or uh, or with the class coming in this fall. Uh, and the answer to that is there's no resolution to it, which is why we haven't asked the question on this show. There's no resolution to that. I know Tom Loy. Tom Loy said that he mentioned that when Braylon James verbally committed. Um, there's no resolution to that. So I don't have an answer to that, which is why we hadn't used the question. I don't think it's realistic, but I learned in 2020's preseason that it's not think it's impossible because Notre Dame won the ACC and Kyron Williams was the ACC freshman of the year. And people asked me two weeks before they moved to the ACC if it was possible that Notre Dame would win the ACC. And I said, no. So anything could happen, right? Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. I wouldn't expect (laughs) this to happen, however. No, and I don't think it's necessary is the wrong word. I I mean, that's a a tough ask for most high school. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. That's, I wouldn't. That's, that's really tough. Just because you're short on players, that. Yeah, the fact that there's no, I don't know if I necessarily want to say that. I wouldn't anticipate it happening. Let's no. just put it that way. It's unlikely. Go ahead, Tim. Dallas Irish eighty three. Coach Freeman has spoken with Lou Holtz for advice. It is often said failure is the best teacher. Which of the living unsuccessful Notre Dame head coaches, Faust, <laughs> Davy, Willingham, and Weiss, could Freeman learn from the most? Why did you chuckle when you said that? I just like the unsuccessful head coach. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I don't believe that there's anything that Jerry Faust at any point could have added that, that would, that would help here. Uh, Bob Davey, Bob Davey, definitely not because he didn't, he's well, he was, of- yeah. And I, you know, I, I mean, I like, I like Bob Davey personally, but yeah, he was opposite of Marcus right. Freeman. I right. mean, he, he looked for reasons not to succeed. And there were a lot at Notre Dame. There were more then than now. Um, so I, my answer would be Charlie Weiss. Um, I think that his scope of the college and pro game and his knowledge would be the most beneficial uh, if, if Marcus Freeman were to ask. I think that Freeman could probably learn a little bit from Davey as a defensive coach who didn't know what the heck you want to run offensively in the same way you could probably learn from Weiss as an offensive coach who mm-hmm. didn't know what the heck you want to run defensively. I'm not saying that 
I think it would just sort of drive home the fact why it was so important that Tommy Reese stayed and probably give Freeman some pause to think about, all right, Reese isn't going to be here forever. I need to start thinking about what, what my next offense is going to look like. Yeah. Could he then learn absolutely everything from Willingham and uh, Faust? If you're just looking at a guy as expertise, then no, no, no knowledge don't, on the side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't install the option offense in the summer. Um, yes. Don't install uh don't have Carlisle Holiday run your West Coast offense when he could probably gain some yards if he were to be a mobile quarterback running around. Yeah. That was a thing to watch. I, I was very – I expected Willingham to to have a great grasp of necessary moves offensively, and he did not. No, it was really strange. That would have been – it was square peg and round hole. It was just weird that you're like, I'm going to make Carlisle Holiday be not what he is at all. Did not see the podcast going this this way today, but that was very strange that uh, Holiday was cast in that, in that role. You didn't expect to to mention Carlisle Holiday. I did not think we'd talk about podcast. him for as long as I have. You already got Travis Thomas in there, and Richie yes, Bush. that's true. I got I got one more in special teams. Here we go. So, uh, so is Davy your choice, Peter, or, or would you say Weiss? Mm, I think I'd go Weiss just because he was a little bit more mo- more modern. Um, I think that Weiss might have some advice of him on like, Hey, these are the political fiefdoms you got to deal with at Notre Dame. Like, I don't know if Davey really got that, but I didn't, I only covered about six months of him. Um, Weiss definitely pushed back on some things at Notre Dame, which I think you sort of, there has to be a little bit of a natural tension there. So I think you learn from both of them, which, and he said that he's, Talk to all of them, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, what like, about, like, from Faust, Tim, you can't please everybody? Did Faust ever at one point realize you can't now? If, so I, ta- if I talk yeah. more about that, I'm going to offend people. Yeah, so Willingham's strength would be, uh, obviously, the way the team responded to him at the start of his career. I think Marcus Freeman has a good handle on that going on as well. Yeah. Um, I the say reason, none of them. Forget it. The re- yeah, I mean, the reason I... The reason I say that about Faust was that because on the outside, everybody loved Jerry Faust and that he was a great guy and that he, but he was a blamer too. I mean, he, mm, he, okay. he behind, not publicly, but right. behind closed doors, he was a blamer as to the reasons why they were failing. And I just don't, I don't think there would be any, any benefit, uh, any benefit there. A uh, question from Wreckers 33 Hot. In the Brian Kelly era, on average, how many commits in a given recruiting class did you feel didn't have the talent to play at Notre Dame? So far, has Freeman erased that concern? I don't know. Um, it's not erased. Kinda, kinda You're going to have early, the, I mean, the early bottom days of classes. For that. that's, that, that's not even erased. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I I didn't think Matthias Farley could play at Notre Dame, so the idea that like we know who can and can't play at Notre Dame and recruiting is, we have a, probably a good idea on some guys. Um, certainly, the type of prospect Freeman is hunting so far is at a higher level than what Kelly was. Like, right. I'm uh, not sure a, I would go much farther than that. Here's a good exercise because it's a class still in our minds that they just finished the 2018 class is heavy in sleepers and and poor in its top 100 guys that didn't pan out at Notre Dame um so I'll just go through it when they signed Sebo Flemister did you think he could play at Notre Dame no and he yeah, he was let, a good backup let, running back right yeah let me you know I do film reviews on everybody so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find the positives in everybody Paul Mawala uh, 
No. No. He played all right. Joe Wilkins. No. Cole Mabry. No. Justin Adamiola. Mm, I certainly had my doubts. Yeah, and yeah. he can play. I have to say But that. he can yeah. play. He Probably, can play. I was, I'd say I was wrong on him. Yeah, me too. Jameer Smith. Mm, no. Jamie and Franklin. This class stinks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like I liked him because I saw him in person. I was like, all right, I, I could see a role for him, but he was short. So you guys was, are gonna like I this was... one, Luke Jones. <laughs> I have to remember who that is. Uh, John, Dirk, John Dirksen. John Dirksen. I like. Well, I, you yeah, like Dirksen a lot. I yeah. like Dirksen a lot. Yeah. Ovia Gofo. I like yeah, him. I liked Ovia yeah. Gofo. Tommy Tremble liked him. Uh, yeah. D- DJ Brown, not really. Mm. He plays. Yeah, I was, we are evaluating, yeah. yeah. evaluating him more at corner at the this, time. This is incredible. Tariq Bracey. I liked him. I liked him. Yeah. Uh, Micah Jones. No. <laughs> I Just did as not. incredible. Jarrett, Jarrett Patterson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Noah Boykin. Could play. Yes. We thought yeah, he could you play. Wanted I didn't think, a, a, a reasonable gamble. I didn't think right. he was a good fit for Notre Dame. I didn't think. Bo Bauer. Yeah, I, I yeah, I like Bauer. I thought Lawrence Keys like could Bauer. play Notre Dame. I thought Lawrence Keys could play Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh George Takis. Yeah. I mean, it's like I know yeah. it's a tight like he could play at 90% of the schools. Notre Dame was going to be tough. All right. Now where oh. everybody above them could play at Notre Dame. But all those names, that is the class that has won the most games in its four years in Notre Dame history. Which makes no sense whatsoever. No. Absolutely incredible. But I think there will be fewer guys like that. For instance, that is a successful class. In the weirdest way possible. I don't think Marcus Freeman's first, second, or third classes are going to have that many guys where we say, nope, nope. Whether we're right or not. I mean, we were all wrong on Justin Adamiola, but we said no. Yeah. We all said yes on Shane Simon, and Shane Simon would be a guy you know, to put at the bottom of that list and say no. I mean, I don't, I don't think Marcus Freeman would say that he's erased. He, I don't think he no. would say that he's erased the concern. Because I think as he moves forward, he'll be like, okay, I, I liked that about that prospect. <laughs> Right, uh, right. Maybe I put too much value on that particular asset. Uh, I, I, yeah. To be fair to the coaches, they most often find out when they get them up there and they're like, ooh, that's. Yeah. O'Malley has... Sykes and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've had a bunch of good questions here today. Uh, yeah. I'm going to move on to the next one from Smuff3. Who's your all-time Notre Dame, quote, first five off the bus? And in parentheses, he put Samson would have had Bo Scarborough had he come to Notre Dame. Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt, huh? Yeah. It would have been all five of them. Uh, would, the okay, bus. so let me ask you, Samson, would Keon Keeley be uh, one of those? Mm, is it too early because he's just Too a, early just to tell, pump. yeah. Like, he's not, yeah, he's not Bo Scarborough in high school, let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, all time. Well, I know he Pete starts with Brennan Curtin. Oh, Brennan Curtin was, guy was huge. God, he was massive. That was a huge. He goal. was massive. <laughs> Dar- you know, Daryl Campbell was pretty scary. If you remember him, yeah, from way back in the day. Like I remember, he, he had like traps that like whatever. You know where you know where Daryl Campbell works? I do not. NFL films. Oh, with Paul Camerata. Yeah, I like Daryl Campbell. I have a few. All right, uh, I didn't see Ross Browner, so I'm not putting him on there. But uh, Bryant Young coming off the bus, Stephon Tuitt, Mike McGlinchey, and I think junior year, 
Jalen Smith looks pretty good coming off the bus too. Yeah. I mean, Quentin I throw Nelson uh, Quinn Nelson Quentin throw in there. Mountain. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that he necessarily, who I'm about to say is necessarily physically different from a lot, but I wanted, I would definitely want Manti tail. I think Manti tail would walk off the bus with the look like, uh Oh, you guys are in trouble today. Sophomore year, Stefan to it, but that yep. face mask and wearing number seven. Yeah. Uh, and I would actually, I, I would probably have mayor from as my current roster. I agree choice. with that. Yeah. I'll go, but let me, let me go back further for some of the older listeners. Certainly, certainly Zorich. Um, well, you know what? I, he didn't look all that intimidating until he got on the field, right? Uh, he was a wide body dude. Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you, he was one big wide body. Um, I don't know. Troy Nicholas wouldn't look bad coming off the bus first, mm. but you know, I would go, well, how can you, how can Derek you have, Brown? I thought you might say Derek Brown. No, he was impressive. Yeah. He was, especially in that, in that era in the early eighties, but how do you have five guys coming off the bus and not have the bus himself leading the way? <laughs> Jerome Bettis. Um, point. There was a guy uh, who played in the mid eighties, who was just an absolute rock. He was a first round is he a first-round draft choice of the Giants? Eric Dorsey. Oh yeah. Are you familiar with him? A defensive Eric Dorsey has been to my house for dinner twice. Is that right? Yeah, he ate eighteen twice baked potatoes at Easter. Why was he at your house? Eighteen. He was. He dated my sister's roommate for three years. Uh, eighteen. Twi- so twice baked potatoes are in half. You know, you cut them in half and put them back in. Remember the old eighties delicacy? Yeah. I was amazed. I was a little kid, and he couldn't. He just kept eating. There you uh, go. Didn't expect Aaron, to hear that on today's podcast. Travis Thomas, yeah. Carlisle Holiday, and twice baked potatoes. <laughs> uh, Aaron Taylor was a was a menacing guy. Uh, you mentioned Ross Browner. There's no doubt about that. There was a guy. Uh, I believe his grandson has been a recruit here, George Gedeke, who was Notre Dame center in the mid '60s, and he shaved his head, and nobody did that then. And, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, nobody did that <laughs> then. So <laughs> everybody knew who he was. And you would want him as first guy off the bench. And I'd throw in one more, Mark Bavaro, who was mm. just a scary-looking dude. But, oh, yeah, Kyle, no. Kyle Rudolph would be on there for me, yeah. too. I remember yeah. him yes. being like, holy crap, who is that guy at this first practice? Next question from DRJK4. Can someone explain the Notre Dame ACC schedule to me? Originally, I was told Notre Dame would play ACC teams in a rotation every three years or so, but somehow – we seem to play North Carolina almost every year. Well, we do in, play in recent years, that that's certainly been the case. Do you, you guys have any? I mean, that's good. The Notre Dame ACC I mean, schedule is made a deck. It's it's well into the 2030s, and I I just think I, I mean I think that the 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 three games in a row against North Carolina. Every other program is going to rotate through and do something similar to that. Well, it's not well, as patterned as maybe we thought it was going to be. North Carolina in 2020 was an ad because Notre Dame was in the ACC that year. Yeah. That, okay, they were, you're right. They weren't right. scheduled to you're play right. North Carolina Clemson that year. Clemson too, right? 2020? No, Clemson was scheduled. No, Clemson, Clemson was already on yeah, there. Yeah. So, um, But that that's why that seems weird because it is. But then Clemson uh, was 20, 2020 and 2020, 2022, and 2023 Clemson scheduled. That is a weird glut. They yeah, played and 2015 we and then 2020. I mean, we weren't really – how good did we expect North Carolina to be in 2020 at that point? 
Well, we found out quickly. Oh, no, they had all the players coming back that we did. That was the two yeah, running backs for the two team. receivers. That okay. was the team. Yeah. All right. Well, that's right. I, for, I, Pete, right. I forgot about that, that they reconfigured the schedule uh, because of the pandemic. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I just, I, I think there are patterns to the schedule. It's just not as uniform as we think or we would a- anticipate them being. I don't have a better answer than that. We do know they don't play. <clears throat> At Florida State for a while because we all looked that up while we were in Tallahassee last year to see if we could if we could avoid going back <laughs> avoid and, such yeah, a trip in the near at, future. <laughs> done with Blacksburg as well. Did uh, what was it? What was that hotel in Tallahassee? Quality in quality in anything but anything but quality in. All right, we're going to wrap up with a question from Pink Robots, and it is: If you could pick one of the current coaches in their prime, one of the current Notre Dame coaches in their prime to add to the current roster as a player, whom would you choose? Uh, now it's not Harry Heastan. Uh, this one's easy. Yeah. Look at the wide receivers. Yes. Yes. Chancey Sucky can just come on over and he was an NFL wide receiver for a minute. I think you have to give some consideration to Mike Mickens too, but I, I hear where you're coming from. I mean, we're talking about, Talking about all American corner, Notre Dame doesn't have an all American corner, do they? No, they don't. No. He'd be good, <laughs> yeah. um, but they have corners. But they uh, do have corners. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we all kind of anticipate that the the entire secondary has a chance to be pretty good. Figure uh, they have good running backs, right? So McCullough's he's a pretty accomplished running back, though, right? Like the Mac in the Mac. Yep. L. Washington, Marcus Freeman himself, Dylan yeah, McCullough. I like those positions at Notre Dame. It's Chauncey Stuckey, the Mike Mickens, and um, they don't need a tight end. Al Golden's off the hook. Don't have to play. <laughs> Although he did score against Notre Dame in Notre Dame State. Would Tommy Reese be the backup quarterback? Yes, he would. Uh, is, there any, is there anyone on staff who has ever kicked? <laughs> <laughs> did, did Brian Mason? I don't yeah. think Brian Mason was actually a kicker. So Tommy Reese would be the second string player. Oh, yeah, he'd definitely be the backup. Chauncey Stuckey would start for sure. Okay, we're good. That's And Mickens yeah. would start. Yeah, no doubt. All right, that's it today from uh, from here from Iris Illustrated Insider. Uh, again, to reiterate what we said last week, we will not have a podcast on Monday the 30th, Tim. Or am I Chris Watt. Something? Chris Watt. You want Chris Watt off the bus? I want Chris Watt. Off the and bus? I move Patterson to center. Yes, I want Chris Watt. Not over Stuckey, but I want Watt. Oh, 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 okay. I thought that was, I thought you were talking first off the bus. Uh, uh-uh. I'm putting Chris, no, <laughs> but I'm putting Chris Watt as a guard on this team after Stucky. Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, no podcast next Monday because it's Memorial Day. So we will, a week from today on May 31st, Tuesday, we'll have our next podcast. Until then, we thank you for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider.